0: Good morning. Our first reading comes from Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29, found on page 1166 in your Pew Bibles. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. The second reading comes from Ephesians 4, 1-6 on page 1158. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The word of the Lord.
1: Who's memorized the Apostles' Creed so far? Some of us. Some of us. Nice. We are almost through this series, church, and so I really want to encourage you and invite you to try and finish memorizing it. Just spend a couple of minutes every day reading over it. You'll be surprised how quickly it can lodge itself in your memory. And I suspect in a couple of weeks, we'll have an opportunity to say it together without the slides. So you can do it. We can do it together. This week we come to another part of the Apostles' Creed that might make us pause and consider if we really believe that. Having just confessed our faith in the Holy Spirit, we profess our further belief in the Holy Catholic Church and Communion of the Saints. Look at that. Holy Catholic Church, Communion of the Saints. There are some loaded words there, right? We probably have questions about a lot of those words. What do they mean? Do they mean what I think they mean? Holy? Catholic? Those are the first ones that jump out at us, right? I'm sure everybody in this room pauses to a certain extent when we consider the holiness of the church. We are reticent, rightly reticent, I think, to call any institution that has been associated with conquest Slavery, genocide, sexual abuse, and a litany of other things holy. And that's to say nothing of the very many ways I'm sure each of us has been disappointed, disillusioned, harmed, and put off by the church from time to time. How can such a body be called holy at all? It appears to us to be decidedly, markedly, most notably, not holy. And that's a difficult word for us to agree with. And then, right after that, like that wasn't enough, it goes on to say the church is Catholic. And though that has a lot less baggage for those of us who might just be coming into the Christian faith, for many Christians, and especially Protestants, who've made it a point to say we are not Roman Catholic... To profess that we believe the church is Catholic is a point of trouble sometimes. Like we're maybe betraying the tenets of the Protestant Reformation itself each time we join in saying the words of this creed. In fact, this has been such a point of contention for many that from time to time you will see churches just change the word, just remove it and put in something like universal instead. So what is it that we are saying when we suggest that the church is holy, when we each have a list of things that tell us that the church is not holy? How is it that we Protestants can say the church is Catholic, and what does that really mean? In the scripture reading from Colossians 1, we receive an answer. Paul is bearing the suffering of Christ. For whom? For the body of Christ. And what's that? The church. And he writes, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We say that the church is holy. And we say that because we believe that Jesus is holy. And we believe that the church is Jesus' body. The church doesn't have a holy Lord and unholy servants. The body of Christ isn't so bisected to have a holy head and unholy everything else. The body of Christ is holy. The church is holy. But then what do we say to all those atrocities? What about all the hurt and the pain caused by the church? Well, the actions of the church can only be said to be the actions of Jesus himself. Right? If Jesus doesn't do it, if Jesus wouldn't do it, if Jesus doesn't will it, the church does not do it. The church has no part in it. So have Christians sinned? Yes, right? Yes. That's why we confess every week Christians have sinned. Have churches, even our church, sinned? Yes, still yes. We know these stories too well. Does the church remain holy? Also, yes, because Christ remains holy, and so does his body on earth. And so wherever Christians gather in his name, act in his name, speak in his name, there the church truly is. And wherever the church is, it is holy, set apart for the work of God, revealing the mystery of the glorious riches of God, even Christ in us. The hope of glory. And so in the same way the church is Catholic. Catholic is an adjective and it means wide, broad, diverse, eclectic, all-embracing. Cyril of Jerusalem indicates the breadth of this diversity in his teaching to new Christians. This is a catechetical lecture. You would have heard Cyril of Jerusalem say these words before you were brought into the church. And it's in your bulletin so you can take it home with you. But what he's leading us to know is that there is a broad diversity in the church and in the church's teachings. The church is Catholic because it crosses time. The church today is not only the church, but it's united with the church past and the church future. The church is Catholic because it spans the world. There is no place where the church may not manifest itself. In fact, quite the opposite, the church is the very vision of how all creation will one day be reconciled to God. The church is Catholic because its teaching is all-embracing. This was an important point for Cyril because when this creed was written, there were a group of people called the Gnostics, and it was their firm belief that you needed some secret knowledge, some secret knowledge to really know God. Right? There was something else that you needed beyond the Bible, beyond the church. And the church says no. The church is Catholic. The church's teaching is Catholic. The church's teaching is everything you need to know to know God. There's no secret knowledge. There's no other quest. There's no other place to go or to search out God. It's the church, and it's in the church's teaching that you'll find this. And so the church freely shares all that is necessary to know God. The church's teachings are themselves Catholic, encompassing all that we need. And the church is Catholic because it is the remedy to all sin. It is the universal hope for all people, for virtuous and flourishing life. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's big, it's wide, it's broad. Every dichotomy you've ever been taught, everything about life and death, heaven and earth, all the things that try and separate these things apart, the church says no. We're Catholic. Those things are bound together in us. There's a depth and a richness to the word Catholic that we ascribe to the church. And in it we see that the church is so much bigger than this place. It's so much bigger than we who are gathered here. We might even feel overwhelmed at the magnitude of that church which we call Catholic. All time, all places, all peoples, all necessary teachings... It's so broad, it's so all-encompassing to be almost entirely unbelievable. Can anything really be all of that? Our experience of the church is so limited to our time and our places, right? It's so limited to the one place we live and the one people who we get to know. It's so limited to the teaching of a pastor or a team of pastors who are not always right. But again, it comes back to that same question as the question of the church's holiness. The root question that we must answer first is, is the church really Jesus' body? Right? If the church is really Jesus' body, the church has to be holy. If the church is really Jesus' body, the church has to be Catholic. Is the church really Jesus' body? Because in Jesus, we see the pre-existent Son of the Father step into history and impact all time. By him, we receive the Holy Spirit who dwells in all God's creation and is present in all places. And through Jesus, the mystery hidden for ages is made known. As Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. If the church really is Jesus' body, if we really believe that, we also believe that it is as Jesus is in the world. That it crosses the barriers of time and space, even of life and death. That as Jesus has the words to eternal life, so too must his church, which is his body, have the words for eternal life still. As Jesus ministered to all people, so too does the church offering the grace and peace of its master in all situations and circumstances because it is the very expression of the depth and breadth and height of God's love for you and for this world. And so its reach is broad. Its reach is just as broad as Jesus' reach, its capacity just as deep as his capacity, its call just as weighty as Jesus' call itself. The church is Jesus's body, and it's holy. The church is Jesus's body, and it's Catholic. And such a Catholic church, such a broad and universal church brings each of us into something called the communion of the saints. As we each find ourselves participating in the life of that one Holy Catholic Church, we find ourselves drawn deep into a community of other people who are doing and have done that same work of Jesus. We find ourselves in the company of a great many saints who've gone before us, having run this race ahead of us and encouraging us on our journey. Saints in heaven who pray to the Father for us and whose lives are testimonies for us a part of this very good and very big news that we call the gospel. Those stories inspire us to push on. So too, we find ourselves in the company of saints whose journey continues with us here today, on the road with us, followers of Jesus who maybe speak languages that we don't even know about, maybe we've never heard of, who look different than we do, whose culture is other than our own, who are older than us, who are younger than us, who are richer and poorer than us, all of whom are tied together in the unity of Christ's body through the bond and the work of the Holy Spirit. The communion of the saints is nothing other than the deep and abiding relationships, friendships that we have with each other because of the work of Jesus that we share in the work of and through the Holy Spirit who unites us all to his body. In this communion, in this community, which we call the church, our prayers join the prayers of all the saints in heaven and on earth. Our praise and the songs that we sing together on Sunday and individually through the week, they mingle their tunes with the praise and songs of the church around the world and on the other side of eternity. And when we gather around the table that the Lord provides, he gathers us with all his friends, near and far, living and dead. Because there is one loaf, so we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. The relationships forged by the communion of the saints cross every dividing wall and they invite us to see each other as not just strangers, but friends. And more than friends, as family. A couple of years ago, I went out to Winnipeg. And my main reason was I got a really good deal on a train ticket, and I'd never been before. And that's probably the only reason somebody could have to travel to Winnipeg. And there I have a great aunt and some cousins. And my great aunt I'd heard spoken of, I knew she's my grandma's sister. I met her on a number of family occasions, funerals, but I didn't really know her, right? And my cousins, I knew almost nothing about at all, and when I went to Winnipeg, I stayed with them, almost perfect strangers, except that we knew we were family. Right? I'm sure you have experiences like those experiences where suddenly you find out that you're connected to somebody, you're related to somebody, and your relationship feels so much deeper even though nothing's changed. You're still perfect strangers, really. How strange it is that when we discover our relationship with another person, we feel so close to them. And yet, in the church, where we say we have the deepest relationship, the longest bond, everlasting life in Jesus Christ, we keep our distance. We hesitate to introduce ourselves. We talk about little more than the headlines as we gather for our social interactions. And we would seldom dare to have another person over for dinner, even, to invite them to cross that great dividing wall of the threshold of our homes. And so are we really the body of Christ? Jesus is forming in this holy and Catholic church through this communion of the saints, nothing other than new family. Imagine that. At every baptism you witness, Jesus is introducing you to your new sister, to your new brother, For those of you who are older siblings as I am, maybe you can remember the joy you felt at being told that you would be a big brother or a big sister. The love that you had ready in your heart to share with this new addition to your family that you did not know at all. The excitement at the prospect of having another friend to play with. Another person with whom to share exciting new things that you're learning. Should we not feel that same degree of excitement when we learn that the communion of the saints has gained a new member? Or if our family was ill, would we not run to them? So too, should we not be just as committed to the well-being of these, our brothers and sisters? Do we not have a longing to know where we come from? Right, there's this boom of ancestry and DNA websites. Someone was just talking to me about them this morning before the service. Right, all sorts of people are trying to rediscover where they come from. We have a deep longing to know who our people are. Where do I come from? What are my stories? Should we not be just as committed to knowing the stories and the histories of the saints here and around the world if not more so, than our own family. You see, Jesus is saying these things, challenging these perceptions in a world where one's first allegiance was always to one's family in much deeper ways than many of us in Canada could ever adhere to. And in that ancient world, Jesus suggests one's first allegiance is not to one's biological family, but to him, and more than to him, to those who do his father's work. In our world, we might like to suggest that our first allegiance is to our family, but honestly, sometimes it's to our career. Sometimes it's to our own personal stability. Sometimes it's to our country or our own notions of what our country should be. Sometimes it's just to our partner. Sometimes it's just to our children. But Jesus still insists, despite our many allegiances, that our first allegiance must be to him. And as he says this, he names a new family, the family of those who do as he taught them. And he calls these people his body, such that any allegiance I might have to Christ, I also have to his body on earth. Does that make sense? Any allegiance we say we have to Jesus transfers itself onto the thing that Jesus says is his body, is him among us. Our allegiance to Jesus is also our allegiance to the church. So again, the question becomes, do we really believe that the church is the body of Christ? Because if we don't, then it doesn't really matter very much. And if we do, then the communion of the saints is just that recognition that as the body of Christ, we align ourselves primarily with that body. And so also to those saints who are members of that body, Expressing Jesus' love and mercy in deep and wide ways wherever we go. The American theologian Willie James Jennings once recounted an incident from his childhood where he was in the backyard with his mom doing some gardening, and a couple of elders from the local Dutch Reformed Church in Michigan came into his backyard, and they wanted to speak to his mother and to invite her and their family to their church on Sundays. And in recollecting his reaction, he writes, why did these men not know me? Not know the multitude of other black Christians who filled the neighborhood around their church? This is a question rooted in that belief in the communion of the saints. Surely Christians should know one another, right? We should know each other in this sanctuary, we should know each other in our neighborhoods and in this neighborhood, our parish that we serve, what would it look like for us to behave as if we really ought to know one another? What would it look like if we really believed that we were obligated to love one another, that our allegiance to Christ spills over to all who form his body, all who bear his name? Well, Ephesians chapter 4 that was read for us, it nudges us. It tells us to live well, to be humble and gentle, to be patient with each other, to behave like we love each other, and then maybe we'll learn to, to make the effort, because there is one body and you're in it. There is one spirit and it is in each of you and among all of you, and it's for one hope that we've been called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So we who call this church Knox our home, we should probably know C3. It's just down the street from us. We should know them and be praying for them and not to be surprised when we hear that somebody is going there. We should know that there are Chinese churches throughout our neighborhood. And we shouldn't be surprised when we meet a Chinese Christian who already knows Jesus and is a member of one of those expressions of the local church. We should expect that there are Christians who look unlike us, who express themselves differently than we do, who meet in different times and places than us, but who are all motivated by that same hope, all members of the one body. We should know their stories as well as we can, We should respond to them joyfully when we interact with them, remembering at all times that there is one body and one spirit, and their stories are our stories. Their joys are our joys. Their frustrations and troubles are our troubles. That's what family means. That's what this body means. That's what this communion of the saints is about. If we are in Christ if we really are members of that one body, which is Christ in the world, we should have the capacity to see the value of even those who for no other earthly reason would we ever associate with. We should find ourselves making space for people who interpret the Bible in vastly different ways than we do because we see them as members of the same body. As we've been going through this creed, it's been the hope of the pastoral staff here, your pastors, that you would have the capacity to know what are the real building blocks of this Christian faith and what are the practices, the actions that those beliefs produce. And this week we're very nearly at the end of it, right? There are only two more weeks in this series, only a couple more lines of the creed and still we all have things that we would like to add to this creed ourselves. And I hate to break it to you but they're probably not making it in. Right? We're almost at the end of this thing. And we still have those things that we hope to add in order to exclude other members of the body of Christ. To exclude people who have fellowship in that great communion of the saints but who make us uncomfortable. Who we vehemently disagree with on all matter of other social and theological questions. To whom we long to say, I can have no part in you if that's what you really believe. And the reality that this section of the creed reveals is that we have no say in that. Jesus Christ has made his church holy. Jesus Christ has called his church Catholic. There are no more boundaries that the church cannot or will not cross than to simply hold these statements of belief and to live our lives well, humbly and gently. Because what we'll find is that in this holy Catholic church, we will one day be reconciled to God. Through this Holy Catholic Church, we will one day see the fulfillment of all things. It's through this church that God will most fully reveal his kingdom. It's through this church that God will come in his fullness. And at a time, no person, no thing will be able to say, you have no part in me except for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master. And so friends, may you experience the joy, the deep joy of this communion of the saints made possible because the church really is Christ's body. The church really is holy and Catholic. And may you share that joy with all who you meet. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we believe in one holy Catholic Church. We believe in the communion of the saints. We believe that we now are your body, not just us, but many others across time and space. We believe that you have so bound us to each other that not even in death will we escape it. And so we pray that you would bubble up within us joy and not resentment for that fact. That you would challenge us to see in the faces of those who bear your name, our brothers and our sisters, that you would cause us to love them deeply and well. We ask that you would start that work simply here among us who have really no excuse not to know each other's stories. And that from that simple and small beginning, you would push us into bigger and bigger acts of love. That the world would truly know we are your church, we are your disciples because of our love for each other. We ask this in your name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen.